Hello, and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this week we are covering Will and Grace, Season 5, Episode 14, Figmalion, Part 2, Attack of the Clones. Okay, so just straight off, before we get into anything else, this episode title doesn't really make sense. Okay, I think it makes perfect sense. No. Tess is just being silly. I think that this indicates that the writers of this episode don't know what clones are. The reference of the episode is to the main plot line, which is in reference to uh, Barry kind of being presented as like a Will clone or like a baby Will out on the town, not knowing what to do, not being perfectly gay straight out of the womb like Jack was. So anyways, clones are genetic identical, (laughs) meaning that they're identical, and that is not what's happening here, and they just wanted to make a Star Wars pun, and I'm not here for it. It wasn't even a very good Star Wars pun. I know, they should have called it Figmalion Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Really big laughs. Yeah. NBC, get it together. So as a reminder to our listeners, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that we don't say the F word on this podcast, which is why we're not saying the actual title of this, but instead choosing to go with Figmalion, because figs have never hurt anyone. Well, except wasps that climb into them and then die, but then their baby wasps pollinate the next fig. So anyways, the wasps aren't people? Well, you didn't say any... I said anyone. Person or insect. I said anyone, therefore implying people or sentient humanoid-esque things. I think Tess is being very mean to wasps. Okay. At the end of the episode, we'll give you information on how to call us if you want to put us in touch with the anti-pro-wasp hotline. (laughs) Anti-pro-wasp? Anti-pro-wasp hotline. (laughs) Just just the other thing that we have beef with with an episode title this week is um, just that later in the episode, Gary calls this my fairy lady. Instead of My Fair Lady, mm-hmm. which is, as many of you know, based on Pygmalion. So they had a perfectly acceptable, non-offensive title within their grasp and chose instead to go with Figmalion. Yeah, that's a choice. So. All right. Uh, let's read the episode description and then we're going to jump into our discussion of the episode. Yay. All right. So here's the description listed on Hulu. Will and Jack coach Karen's cousin, Dan Futterman, on his new gay lifestyle. Reminding Will of his own experience of coming out in 1986. Beautiful. So, before we get into that. Yes. I believe we're going to talk about Grace's side of the plot this week. Yeah. uh, In what is sadly becoming a running trend on this show, Grace has a terrible plot line Uh that is completely unrelated to the plot line happening elsewhere in the episode. Yeah. Because she lives in Brooklyn now, so now she's not allowed to have plot lines with any of her friends. Yep. And they're all to do with Leo, and they were all bad. Yeah. So, basically, um, Grace decides that she's going to throw her and Leo a housewarming party. Which sounds fun. Which sounds fun. Sounds like they've lived there for a while, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Housewarming party, sure. But then Leo has to cancel on the housewarming party because, surprise, he has to go back to Africa for Doctors Without Borders. Now, I would say this sounds unrealistic, but it happened on ER at this time, like every single season. So it was definitely 100% unrealistic. Yes. So I feel like the writers of Will and Grace were watching ER and they went, oh, Leo could be in Doctors Without Borders. Right. And obviously they'd give him less than a week's notice to spend a month in Africa. And yeah. then here's another thing. So then just the basic details of this trip to Africa don't really make any logical sense. Mm-hmm. So first of all, this episode takes place in 2003. 
but Leo refers to getting Zaire in dollars. Um, Zaire hasn't been a country since 1996. It is now known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I mean, maybe Leo's just really bad with money. Maybe. Like, I mean, not like bad with spending it. I mean, like literally just bad with like understanding what money is. Also possible. And what money is legal currency. Right. Also possible that he's just bad at numbers because he claims it's going to take him a 28 hour flight to get there, which. Well, I mean, when you fly around the world once and then you come back again, you know, to shake off the terrorists. Right. So after I bitched about this to Matthew for 15 minutes, he did look up what the actual longest nonstop flight is. And it's 19 hours. And I believe you said it was from Singapore to New York. Or something like that. Something like that. And it's only from, like, this year. So, like... Yes. So, let's just put it this way. It would not take 28 hours to get from New York City to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It would probably take that max, dumb. like, 10 hours. Even if there were a couple of layovers, it probably shouldn't take 28 hours of full, like, nonstop travel. So what I you just, doing on that plane, Leo? Yeah. What you doing on that plane, Leo? What you doing? What you doing on the plane? What you doing? Are you stopping at the helicarrier? Maybe there's... Or meeting with S.H.I.E.L.D.? Maybe there's snakes on that plane. <gasps> that's a different... That's a different person. That's Samuel L. Jackson. He's not... No. Samuel L. Jackson is in the Marvel movies. Yeah, and he's on Snakes on a Plane. Yes, you said that he was a... Not important. Here's the thing. He's a different person from Harry Connick Jr. I think we can agree. I just assumed since we... Wait, is Harry Connick Jr. involved in any Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff? I'm so lost. Let's move on. Leo's bad at math, and that plot line doesn't make sense, and it also suffers from white people racism where it just refers to him going to Africa. Hey, no, it does not. It It, refers to him going to Zaire. Which is not a country anymore. (laughs) So, again, most of the time it's Africa. The one time he name drops a country, it's one that doesn't exist. (laughs) Uh, I just, this is, aside from all of the reasons that Will and Grace writers need to be sent to Atlas, this is just a very problematic plot line. Yes. I mean, it's no anywhere near like last week, but it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it is kind of played as if he's not telling her the truth, right. except he totally is. Right, and she's just being ridiculous, apparently. Right, and he treats her like she, first of all, he treats her like her getting upset about this is ridiculous. Right. Then he tries to tell her that she's just upset because he's going to be gone and they just got married. And whether or not that's true... I would argue it's not, based on what we actually see in the episode. Mm -hmm. It's still ridiculous that he just up and leaves, and she's not allowed to be upset about this. Right. Especially due to the fact that there's no warning, and he's going to be gone for a full month. And I mean, like, I think it's perfectly valid if she is mad that he's leaving, because they just got married. They haven't even fully adjusted to married life yet, and he's going to be missing for a month? I mean, they moved to a new neighborhood. I mean, she has... Her, all her friends live in Manhattan. They made several references to her having to fly in. Right. Which must be at least an eight-hour flight if it's 28 hours to get to Zaire, which doesn't exist. <laughs> but I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why the writers of Will and Grace seem aware that Grace has moved out of her friends' lives. But don't seem aware of how that would actually affect Grace other than, haha, I had to take the train to get here. Right, exactly. And so there's no feeling of disconnect from her friends. There's none of that. Instead, we just see her being angry at Leo, which is completely illegitimate. But then the writers couch it in her being angry about small, nonsensical things. Right. Like, Like, she's mad that he didn't do the dishes before he left. This plot line is, like, it kind of feels like one that would happen on, like, more of a drama where, like, a character is in a really tumultuous relationship and then she gets quickly married and then the husband is, like, running off and doing what he would do if he wasn't married. And right. He, like, it it doesn't... It's not a very funny plot line, even no. in the Will and Grace context. Yeah, there's just... 
it's really difficult to make this funny because no matter what, it's still a man refusing to prioritize his marriage over his career right. when she's expected to kind of do the same thing. Well, and it does it does the thing where it because it's not actually funny, it relies on making Grace look ridiculous. Yes. Which is very frustrating. And we've talked about many, many times on this podcast. It's a crutch that the writers go back to when they don't have a funny plot line. They just make Grace even stupider. Yeah. And, and it's annoying. Yes, I understand that aside from everything else, it is totally possible that Grace is, instead of expressing why she's actually upset, fighting with Leo about all these little things. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't... First of all, there's no evidence that that's actually happening other than what Leo says. And second of all, that doesn't invalidate all the other stuff on both other ends of the argument. Right. Yeah. So it's just very frustrating to watch the show just kind of devolve into Grace's additional ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. And then the cap on the top of the story is she decides to purchase a plane ticket for this 28-hour ride to Zaire, which again isn't a thing, um, and gets on the plane to go with Leo only as she's calling him as they're taking off, which, again, sidebar, unrealistic. It's after 9-11. You can't be on a cell phone during takeoff. Tess is fact-checking the hell out of this episode. I am here with facts. Anyways, but so she's on the phone with Leo, and surprise, he got off the plane, and he's now home in their apartment. So now Grace is flying 28 hours to Zaire. That's going to be the title of my mystery novel, <laughs> 28 hours to Zaire. Um, so she's Well, obviously, the plane has to go fast enough that it can travel back in time. So, like, so, really... You know, so he can get back to 96. Right, right, right. <laughs> so it's going to take 28 hours. That's why it's so important for him to leave now, because if he doesn't leave right now, it's going to take even longer to get there because I mean, of the transitive time principle. Right, he's got to go back in time to stop that Ebola outbreak in 96. If he waits even 20 minutes, it could be another year of travel. Who knows? <laughs> time is so fickle. Yes, so time basically so we leave the episode with Grace on a plane to Africa, vaguely, and Leo at home coming back to apologize to her. Yeah. What a world. Well, not even to apologize, though. To, to say to, a to proper fighting. goodbye. Yeah. And I'm just like, no. I'm not here Wrong. for it. Wrong. Incorrect. Incorrect, indeed. Oh, well. Moving on. Um, so the plot line we actually like this week is really good. Um, yes. This is probably one of my favorite A-plots of the season so far. Because this season's been a whole a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Mostly dealing with Leo, who is the worst. Yes. Um, but while his introduction last week was a little frustrating, I've really come to love Barry. I love Barry. Barry is kind of like the perfect addition to a Will and Grace cast that like you didn't know you needed until you get it. And it's so sad to me that clearly he's not going to be on the show on a regular basis. But we want him there. Literally in the next episode, it's not even the third part of his four-part story arc. Nope. We're going to come back to that in a few episodes, I guess. Um... But it's kind of like, like, people make fun of, like, the Cousin Oliver trope, where the Brady Bunch is failing in the ratings, they bring in a cute little kid right. to, like, pump up the ratings and get everyone excited. This is sort of like if Cousin Oliver worked. Right! It's exactly like if Cousin Oliver worked. It's this fun new character who doesn't have an explicit connection with all the cast members, but has implicit ties to three out of the four cast members. Yeah. Because he's Karen's cousin, right? Yes. And he's basically Will. Yes. And he's Seeking- clearly... Uh, seeking Jack's approval also because they're going to be in love in this scenario. And Grace could be there too, maybe. I don't know. She's not, but she could be. Um, If they flew her in from Brooklyn. Right, of course. I just, it's such a new energy because you have this character who forces the other characters to interact with themselves and their past because he's like a younger version of them. Right. Like, I think this is partly why the dynamic between um, Jack and the tiny cop from the revival works so well because you have this new character 
who forces the other characters to look at their lives and reflect on them. Mm-hmm. And also is just, like, young and fun and, like, is doing all the fun young gay stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, Barry is really bummed about it this episode when they actually go to the gay bar because he's so nervous. Right. But, like, they go to a gay bar and it's his first gay bar and that's really exciting. Yeah, that's a very formative experience for many baby queers. Is When I went to my first gay bar, I got mooned. And I didn't go back to a gay bar for several, several weeks after that, because that was really aggressive on the behalf of that at least 50-year-old man. But I did go back. My first gay bar was Plan B in Madison, Wisconsin. I went to an 18-plus night with some friends who were gay and older. Mm -hmm. I was fighting with my then-boyfriend, so I turned off my phone and gave it to my friend, and then I danced with a gay guy who I'd never met before, and it was beautiful. So you're saying you turned off your heterosexuality and and turned turned on... Your bisexuality. Indeed, I did. Wow. And it was very fun. And you never turned it back off. I never turned it back off. Except at holidays. Well, that's just normal. <laughs> that's like airplane mode. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> when you get home, you, sw- you switch your bisexuality into airplane mode. Right, right. And just, you know, let everyone assume your heterosexuality. Although, weird story, speaking of being home, I was home this weekend for my sister's bachelorette party, and my cousin and I were very drunk at a bar, and which point, I don't know how we got on the topic of just clearly I am the gay cousin. And right, of course. And it's fucking ridiculous that my mom just lives in denial about it. Right, okay. It's Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, but I just, this episode, I think, works even better than Gay It Forward, because it doesn't waste time with all of the annoying parts of Barry's backstory. Right. Like, we're not trying to hook him up with Will. We're not focusing on the fact that he's a complete disaster. Like, the episode is his evolution from, like, not knowing anything about being gay to, like, knowing a little bit more about being gay. Yeah. Being comfortable with himself. There's still, like, an element of he's aping Will and Jack instead of being his own authentic gay self. But, you know, I feel like a lot of baby queers do that. Uh, they pick a queer role model and try to become them. Mm-hmm. They try to, they sort of, like, single white female them. Right. Versus, like, just trying to organically adopt pieces of their personality yeah. that make sense. And I guess it's good that he's adopting Will's personality rather than Jack's. Although um, that would be funny. He can't really pull off Jack's personality, I don't think. Not yet. If nothing else, he's too smart. Here's the thing. In this episode, at one point, he is so adorable in his little glasses, and he's wearing a, like, a grandma sweatshirt that mm-hmm. says, can't even think straight, yeah. and it's so cute, because he's trying so hard, mm-hmm. and that is exactly why he can't be Jack yet. He's I, not ready. Also, as a quick sidebar, I think it's interesting how Barry is presented as very not the gay standard for the early 2000s, but yet, I think a lot of what Barry is wearing is actually kind of homo-chic now. Yes. I mean, he's got to his glasses. Yes. And the hair needs a cut. But the beard is on trend. Right, I mean... The sarcastic sweaters, the, like, kind of slouchy grandpa sweater he wears later yeah, with he's, the... he's sort beating. of predicting hipster homo culture yeah. of the, the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we watch the show now, and I'm kind of amazed at the outfits that Will and Jack are wearing as, like, outfits that gay men would wear there in the are, early 2000s. There are a lot of turtlenecks, man. Yeah, I, I mean, probably... And they're going to bars in turtlenecks. Probably many of them were, but, I mean, like... Jack is wearing a vest in, like, literally 75% of these episodes. And I... But not, like, a cute, like, going out vest. Like, a, like an old person vest. Right. It's something that we would never in 20, 2018 wear. Yes. Unless we were ironic or hipster about it. Yeah. But that's, like, genuinely just what Jack wears. And uh-huh. so it's very interesting to see that kind of... That kind of cultural clash of what was stylish. Because what Barry's wearing right now... And overall, his general style... I mean, the glasses are a little bit dated. But even his kind of overlong hair is Mm -hmm. very hipster homo chic. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, at some point in this episode, he's going to go too far and be too gay, and you know, Will and Jack would be like, "Oh no, we created a monster!" He's probably gonna come out like in booty shorts or something. Right, of course. Um, and that's clearly what they're going for in casting a character who's so far from like the gay ideal at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm okay with that because I I like that dynamic. I love the push and pull of that. Yeah, and even in this episode, he does get the opportunity to kind of call out Will and Jack and say, like, this isn't who I am. Like, right. you're pushing me to be this version of gay that I'm not comfortable with. Right. It's actually a really poignant commentary on gay culture of the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Because while Jack and Will are sort of trying to educate him about gay culture, they're teaching him things about, like, you know, the unrealistic body standards that mm-hmm. were being held to. Um, literally, at one point, Jack is eating pizza and telling Barry to do, sit like, push-ups and uh-huh. saying... You can't eat until you have pecs. No pecs, no sex. Yep. And stuff like that. And then we've got Will sort of telling him that he has to unlearn sports. Yes. And learn instead about famous Broadway actresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are all very stereotypical things that were happening at the time. But it's an interesting commentary on it because it assumes that every gay person has to fit this one standard. Well, and I think it's interesting because I, I imagine that by this point in Will and Grace's life cycle... The show must have started getting some of its criticism for portraying these very shallow, stereotypical gay men. You know, one of them who is is extremely flaming and fruity, and the other one who is basically a straight guy, Mm -hmm. and not engaging with gay culture in a more combative or traditionally queer sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they're doing in this episode is they're presenting a character who challenges that, but is is presented by the end to go back on what he originally said. You know, he has baby's first fabulous. He wants the abs that he sees in his men's health magazine. You know, like it's the episode kind of toying with engaging with that idea, but not quite fully committing. Yes. It's, it's, it's in, it's like, it's in its queer curious phase, you know, like it's sort of curious about what it would mean to actually engage with the culture of the time, but afraid to pull the trigger and actually allowing a standalone unundercut. Yes critique of it and i think that's probably part of the reason why among the fact that like he's just a guest character and he won't be on the show forever Mm -hmm. but i think that's part of the reason why the character of barry can't stay on the show forever because either this character has to just become either will or jack Mm -hmm. at which point he's not necessary to the plot or he has to be challenging these characters in a way that i don't think nbc and the writers want these characters to be challenged Mm -hmm. yeah it's sort of a conform or die situation it's very conform or die yes And I mean, like, it also sort of makes me think about the cultural context of the gays who are involved in writing this show. Yes. So I think about, like, the Larry Kramer generation of people who, during the AIDS crisis, were saying, well, if we had just been able to get married, none of this would have happened. This sort of, like, gay conservatism. And I feel like this show is sort of touching on this sort of, like, backlash to gay conservatism with the promiscuity and sexiness and the intense, like, shallowness, but not fully pulling the trigger. Yes. There's a very uh, there's a very gay centrism happening here. I mean, there's it's no surprise that the cast of Will and Grace reunited to do a vote for Hillary tag. I mean, this is their politics. It's right. this, it's this, you know, conservatives think it's too left and liberals think it's too right mm-hmm. thing where they're in the middle and they're not committing to anything. Right. Which I I think the idea of moderation has its benefits but i think it's not realistic in the time we're living in right you know i think probably 
many people would agree that if our government was run by actual centrists, we'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Nope. You know, our world is not run that way. And this show is living in a time where you can say that you're a center party and, like, you can get away with it whether or not you are. You know, you can say that you're a progressive person just because you're gay without right. doing anything else. Right. And so that's why it's so interesting to see the revival because they've kind of had to step away from that. Mm-hmm. That cannot be their political message anymore because we're living in too too far of a politicized environment. They have to take a stand against, like, people like Donald Trump. And I don't think they're always terribly successful at it, frankly. But regardless of that, they are trying, mm-hmm. which is something refreshing about the revival. And there is something to seeing characters who have been centrists for a decade try to say, okay, I can't do this anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but we're not seeing that in this episode. No. We're seeing a character who probably comes from a very conservative background based on what we know about Barry. And yes. And I think we've learned his parents are religious. Yes. Karen has an offhand comment about how he has hyper-religious parents. Yeah. And I, the present presentation of the character is kind of that he's shifting to be a equally radical on the other side. Mm-hmm. Whereas Will and Jack have no incentive to do that. So we're kind of seeing that sort of clash too. Right. Yeah. Who knew that there was so much depth in Barry? There is. It's so Barry beautiful. Co- Barry contains multitudes. Barry does contain multitudes. Speaking of multitudes, this episode also does feature an 80s flashback, which is magical. It's a really good 80s flashback. I'm so happy for it. I'm always very happy when we get to see Will's mullet return. Oh, yeah. That's horrifying. It's but... horrifying, but it's wonderful. Um, but we have this nice moment where we see that... Um, we see Will's first time in a gay bar, mm-hmm. and he's very nervous, and he literally is like a slapstick comic. He's falling all over himself. Admittedly, it's arguably worse than Barry's. I mean, Barry goes to the gay bar, and he's very nervous, and a guy turns him down by literally saying, stop, and putting his hand out. Yeah, which, rude. Which is rude. But Will only is successful because Jack pays someone to go out with him, and then that person steals his identity. Right. So. I mean, he probably sleeps with Will, too, but I mean, you know. Steals his was, identity. Do you think that was first Will's first gay sex? <gasps> Maybe. With, with, with an identity thief? That would explain a lot. That would explain so much about Will. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. To be a fly on the wall at Will's therapy sessions. Ugh. We've been that, remember? It wasn't good. Yeah, but that was couples therapy. Oh, couples therapy. Oh, well. Yeah, but but then again, we also sort of just not to keep hammering home this political thing so that flashback takes place in 86 Mm -hmm. there's no fear yeah where there clearly should be well i mean come on i mean this show isn't for gay people it's for straight people i just mean what's aids i've never heard of that what is aids it's 1986 and we're all just fucking for free over here yeah no no yeah no your friends are dying and you're scared yeah but sure sure will and grace that's a cute version well and that's Part of the problem with this show is that anytime they really do try to lay into some gay plot lines, they can't. They they don't have any legs to stand on because they refuse to acknowledge the realities of gay identity in the 80s, 90s, and today. Mm-hmm. Just like a radio station. <laughs> yeah, it sort of reminds me. So um, in the work I do, I work for a, a harm, reduction, harm reduction and HIV prevention program. And so half of our, like, team is focused mostly on, like, the queer population, specifically queer co- queer populations of color and I was talking to one of my friends who does that as their focus and literally they're hosting workshops on learning your gay history mm-hmm. because kids these days don't know how to engage <laughs> kids with that these days. but genuinely and so it's sort of like 
I feel like Max, Max Muchnick and David Cohen need a learn your history moment. Mm-hmm. They need to go back. Someone needs to talk to them about Queer Moses and Stonewall. <laughs> like, they don't know their shit. And it's, it shows sometimes that they, they clearly grew up with a lot of privilege. And so mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, the AIDS crisis, of the fear that was involved in that, of the queer politics that are integral to most gay people's lives are absent from the show. Well, and it... It's frustrating to see these flashbacks that don't deal with it. Not necessarily because the show needs to deal with it. I, I think it does, but I could see where someone would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have these flashback scenes, you can't just present them like this. Right. You know? Like, I think if I recall correctly, when we talked about the scene um, a couple of seasons back when Will comes out to Grace, we were kind of baffled that her first response wasn't, but AIDS. Right. You know? <laughs> like... Will and Grace lives in a show where there are no STDs. Right. I mean, I get that it's a sitcom, but come on. Right. I mean, like, they have name drop things like the Human Rights Campaign without ever mentioning the prevalence of HIV in the community that founded the Human Rights Campaign. Yeah. You know? It's frustrating that they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. Mm -hmm. And they gotta bake the cake. You gotta do the cooking by the book. (laughs) (laughs) You can't be lazy. (laughs) Oh. Okay, so, that was my whole political rant, and I, yes, I very you. much apologize for hijacking this episode to have my queer politics rant, <laughs> but I'm not that sorry, because Barry deserves this. Yes, Barry needs to learn. Barry needs to know his history. So, I think before we wrap up this week, I think I just want to, like, go back to this whole idea of this weird four-part plotline that isn't in four consecutive parts. Yes, so next week we will not be coming to you with Pygmalion Part 3. There will be a separate episode. I don't know why. We don't know why. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting because it, it shows Will and Grace's interest in long-term plots, mm-hmm. but not its actual willingness to follow through with them. And I mean, I think that part of that may just be a time period thing. This is p- pre-peak TV. Mm-hmm. So, like, through lines on sitcoms aren't necessarily, like, right something that's going to get butts in seats, you and know? And even for all we know, we're going to look watch the next episode and it's going to be some guest star or something, you right. know, where it's like, Okay, well, you wanted that guest star to air this week, so you had to push off that. But I don't get it. It's just so strange. I mean, we have plot lines where Leo doesn't show up for an episode or two. I know. I love those. But we, like, we're not presenting all the Leo plot lines as, like, Leo's Demise Part 4, you know. Leo's Demise Part 4 is I the wish. name of my sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. So... Tune in next week for not that. Yeah, sorry, Barry won't be here next week. Barry's going somewhere else. He's gonna go take a little gaycation. Oh, I love gaycation. Gaycation, all I ever wanted. All right, Tess, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us on the internet? All right, so the main place you can find us is our Twitter. We are at Not a Couple Show on Twitter. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. We're on Tumblr, where you can send us an ask. Um, you can send us an email. We're at Not a Couple Podcast at gmail.com. And, yeah, you can listen to this episode and all of our following episodes and all of our backlog of episodes on Podbean and iTunes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. We will be back next week with more Will and Grace. All right. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. This episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Eliza. Stay in school. This episode was brought to you by 28 Hours Sayer, 
the new time travel crime thriller by Tess Bender. Watch as Leo Marcus tries to solve the crime of Ebola using transitive time property and general douchiness.